Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Broncos fans and welcome to the most recent episode of Broncos Weekly. As always, I'm Mitch and I'm joined on the line by our good friend Simo. How you doing, Simo? Yeah, not too bad. Yourself? Mate, I'm, I'm going okay. I'm going okay. We had some crisis averted. We almost couldn't record again when I couldn't find a um, a cable to plug my microphone into my mixer. So that would have been good. But uh, we're here. We're actually back for the first time in a couple of weeks. And um, I wouldn't say it's good to be back, but we're back. Yeah, it's something to be back. <laughs> that's it we're just back it's, um... anyway mate how's, how's your life been going the last couple of weeks it's been a while since we caught up are you, you doing okay you doing okay yeah just been working a lot really so i mean it's odd writing in... killer beats in your spare time which no one has the balls to <laughs> read publicly which wally won't rap for me but yeah yeah i mean it's an odd one too with work like you don't really feel like you can go complain to anybody too much about working 60 hours a week because obviously a lot of people are in a worse situation than having to work a lot so but it yeah, does I hate get... this humble thing hey i hate having to be humble about your job <laughs> uh, it's just like yeah it just gets a lot and sometimes i just need a week off but i got birthdays coming up soon so i took a long weekend for that and then i've got like a five-day weekend the one after that so got some time off i'm just looking forward to there that's what we've got to get to <laughs> that's good mate yeah um, i have the same feeling i think a lot of people have that now how you're like Oh man, I've been working really hard the last few weeks for probably too many hours and I kinda, you know, want to say something, but yeah, probably shouldn't. <laughs> like we should probably shut up and just deal with it, eh? Hey? Like Yeah. It's uh it's, is what it is. It is, right. So um this episode, guys, again, we're not doing the the old format of all full reviews and similar, but we will do a bit of news and then we'll do questions. Maybe we'll talk a bit about the Tigers game. I don't know, but as you guys know, we're kind of um sick of the loop of giving our same opinion on the things we had the same opinion on for a couple of years. So we'll try and avoid that, but who knows? I'll probably end up whinging in the same ways for about five minutes straight. <laughs> I, I just look forward to this being essentially a retweet of last episode. <laughs> it definitely is. We should just do, yeah, last time on Broncos Weekly and then just... <laughs> just That's it. Just upload the audio from last session and then just yeah. no one will know. That's it. Um, we'll start with some news that's kind of a bit old, but still going on. But I just think, I just find this whole situation hilarious. But let's start talking about David Fafita's contract situation and the whole to and fro with the Titans, the $17 squillion offer, and us having no money left. How good is this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, the longer it goes on, the less I get concerned about these things because if he wanted $1.25 million, he would have signed for $1.25 million by now. So I 
I'm sure they're just, you know, figuring out stuff and it'll get done and it'll end up staying here. Yeah, it does seem like they're going to actually bend over for a bit more money. I think the only thing that really annoyed me of this whole process is like everyone knows mine and yours long annoyance with the contracts at our club. But one thing annoyed me was like this is when they finally decided to play hardball and all the other garbage contracts. It was like, yeah, this is the one. Dave Vita is the one we're going to really, you know, put our foot down. But as anybody knows, I mean, he showed his hand when he said, can I go to the Titans and come back? He doesn't actually want to go to the Titans. Like, no. That's just it. Yeah, I mean, but smart move to draw a line in the sand on the generational second row you have. Like, just that's that's, that's the one you, you want to play hardball on. And, you know, don't worry about Flagler and Carrigan or any of those other guys. Give them a million each. But, yeah. Yeah. You've got to feel pretty aggrieved if you're Fafita, mate. If you're getting offered seven fifty a year and they just gave Tom Flegler six hundred for like not just even looking at them, like they, they, he just had a you know one meeting and they just gave him money. Like, who's his agent? Who's Flegler's agent? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Let me look at now. Look it up now. I don't think it's um, it's Isaac Moses who you know has the whole club in a tizzy anyway. But I don't think it is. But may, maybe it is. Like. Whoever it is, they're better than Moses at their job because if Flegler's getting the 600, no one's as good as their job as he is. Well, mate, when it's hard to find who his manager is, you already know that's... Um, that, so that's that, the Illuminati of his manager. Just doing his job. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's like, you know, if you didn't know, the, the whole Fafita thing is it's all stuck on the fact that he doesn't want to sign a long-term deal because of... Um, because of his relationship with it, with an agent, essentially he's stuck with an agent called Steve Deacon, who also has testing uh, new as well. But it's like they signed up for that agency for a different agent, different manager they liked. That manager's left, and they've been stuck with this other guy. And they don't want to, They don't want to be with him. So that's why Fafita's only negotiating one year because he wants to go to a new agent next year. And I've seen some people say, "Oh, why does he? Why does he care?" It's like, well, you know, put yourself in the same shoes, mate. If you had to decide to do a $5 million deal over five years, do you want someone you don't like getting commission of that, of your money? No, you don't. So, Yeah. Um, like, yeah, it's fair enough. It's understandable. Yeah, it is. Okay, I can't find who his um, Flegler's manager is, but yeah, that's why he's only negotiating one year, but also that's what made it so funny about the Titans thing. It's like 1.25, oh, okay, I'll go there for a year, but can I sign to come back to Brisbane? And that's just like, mate, did you even ask the Titans if they were, were cool with that <laughs> when he offered that to us? <laughs> but imagine if, I mean, I guess Titans or a team in that position would probably never want to sign a one-year deal. But you could have it where he did sign a one-year deal and then straight after that signed for the year after for the Broncos. You know, like So it yeah. could... Before he even like shows up to preseason at Titans, he could have already signed back for the Broncos. Like obviously, like in this situation, but I guess you'd always try to get more than one year if someone's coming to your club like that. Yeah. Okay. So I found um, Tom Flegler's manager. It's um, Tasman Bartlett. Taz Bartlett. He works at Pacific Sports Management. Who are the the Orr brothers, Chris and Gavin Orr. Those are the guys that get the blokes to uh, blokes over to the NFL. By the way, they actually still have Jordan Malida as a as a client, but. So it's just some random lower level agent. So maybe he must have known Flegler for a while or something. Yeah, but, well, he's um, done a bang up job on that contract. So he has. And I'm not that stressed about the Fafita thing. Like, you know, I'm not one of those people that thinks, like, I, I kind of get sick of fans who tell players they have to take the money always. Because a lot of the time, like, a player goes, takes the money and ends up ruining their career or they end up, you know, regretting it especially at the Titans, but it's not exactly like 
we're some, you know, benchmark of a club like we used to be. Yeah, I think you can either take one point two five million and ruin your career, or take seven hundred thousand and ruin your career as well. So do what you want. <laughs> That's it, mate. So but I just, I do just feel like he'll stay. And if he doesn't, again, what are you supposed to do? Like I know rumors are out now that, and they've spoken about. It. I mean, Lockie's spoken about it. Jack Bird's free to leave, and I guess. It's apparently because they want more money for Peter, so they are bending over eventually, but that's good. Like, thank God. Like, yes, that's exactly what you do. Punter Jack Bird and re-sign for Feeder. I don't, like, I'll pay Jack Bird 500k to play elsewhere next year just to keep for Feeder at this club and then figure it out. But this whole mess, I've still, I guess I loved it a few weeks ago. We went over this in the previous pod, how Wayne, like, smashed, like, back at the club. Like, yeah, maybe they finally realized that maybe this re-signing everybody isn't a great strategy. Maybe, like, you've got to actually, you know, look outside your usual net. You know, maybe do what Canberra did. Like Canberra a decade ago, were like we are now. They just re-signed every young player and thought it would work out. And then they yeah. started actually, you know, what letting players test the market and they went and found their own players as well. It's like, it doesn't matter where those guys came from. Get the best player for the best value. It doesn't matter if they're a prison boy or not. Maybe we can start doing that soon. I, I doubt it. Though. Well, that's the whole thing in a salary cap is it's not just like local juniors and it's not just great players you need. You need great players on great value. It, like... Sometimes you're going to need to move someone on to get someone to do, you know, 90% of the work on 50% of the pay because that's yep. the value in the salary cap. That's it, man. That's why we, you know, I like Tom Flegler. God, has been bad the last few weeks, but, you know, the Flegler and Joe O deals, we've been over these, but, you know, over a million dollars combined for a season, you know, that's a million dollars is the salary of the best players in the league. And they only play the minutes of one player combined in a game. So maybe think about it, lads. You lose both of them. And play someone average on the bench instead, and then use that money elsewhere. Like, it's just that whole roster construction has, has been terrible since, since day. It's not day dot, but for the last three years. And I did enjoy Lockie's comment a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "Okay, from now we're going to like you know really stress test contracts. You know, from now, now we're doing good contracts. We haven't done good. We haven't done good contracts for years. We're going to try now though. From here." That's yeah, I mean, Lockie also said that losing 48-0 wasn't about the result. It was just about trying hard. So, Yeah, that's it, mate. Lots that's of fun it, things, Lockie. <laughs> Speaking about losing a lot, um, I want to talk about the rumoured Anthony Seabold ultimatum in, in, in two senses. In the first sense, it's like, is is not giving someone an ultimatum at this point of the season almost one of the most like, the stupidest things you, you ever heard for assessing a coach? This is the thing, like, yeah, it's it's very stupid, but this is also the thing. I don't think the result on the ultimatum would actually, like, I think whatever decision they'd come to, I think they would come to without the ultimatum. Like, if he, if he wins six and we come 12th, I don't know, they'd probably still punt him. I don't think that's going to keep his job. Same. That's why I just think it has to be a joke or like they just think he's not going to hit that. They're just confidently won't hit that number or something. Because like, you know, even Dean Pay can win games at, end, at the end of a season. And that's all Dean Pay was doing for a long time there. Like at the Bulldogs, they'd go pretty much winless and he'd win five or their last six or something. And then, you know, that's a great season all of a sudden. But like, <laughs> I just don't think it's real. And even if it was, it just, as you said, it's a terrible idea to just, what, okay, we went really bad for like 10 weeks, but then we, we snuck some wins what, back into the year against... I don't know, the Titans, the Cowboys and Dragons, maybe the Bunnies and Sharks. Were like, oh, yeah, we're great. We still conceded over 40 and, and, and scored a nil multiple times, though, but we're great now. Yeah, also, like, I've got the, the next 10 here, right? 
so of those, we've got ones that I would say are guaranteed losses. You've got Storm, I would say Raiders, Roosters, Panthers, Eels. Like there is five that I cannot see any way we win any of those. Mm. After that, you've got Cowboys and Titans. I would probably assume we'll lose to the Cowboys and beat the Titans, but that, the opposite of that happened earlier. Dragons, we've not beaten them right now, are we? Rabbitohs, Sharks, like I wouldn't be confident in any of those five weaker games either. But you know, it's not it's not you know sunshine and daisies. Last ten games, there's a lot of hard games in there, and I I don't see us winning more than two. I'm with you there, mate. But you, yeah, I'm talking. Look back at Dean Pay's season in like 2017. They won five of their last six, and they didn't finish last. Good on them. But again, again, they won like three of their first 15. It's like oh, so five of the last ten they did win though. So should keep him. And then yeah, last year as well, he won uh, four of his last six as well. So it's not a real benchmark. And I'm with you there, mate. I just don't see how. Um, I don't see how we win five plus of those games. And I don't really think it matters. It does feel like that AGM this week and that discussion about um about, you know, the performance of the end of this season and they kind of stopped being as positive on C Bob publicly as they were like five, six weeks ago. Uh it does feel like no matter what he is gone in the end of the year. Yeah, I unless he won all ten games and you look amazing and you make the eight. Um that would keep his job, but I think that's about it. I think that's about the only thing that will at this point. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Like, I don't know how he do. It. Even then, we, as we said this last year, mate, it, was, it wasn't good enough to make the day anyway. But it took it took a lot of pressure off of him. What they do if they somehow sl- slipped into the eight again this year? You just, I don't know how you can just ignore some of the performances, like you know the Tigers game, the the Titans game. The Roosters game, the Eels game, like I don't know how you could ignore them, and obviously the game that's coming this Friday will be the Storm game. From here, yeah, I think I think it's going to be big. <laughs> 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 uh, but you can even see, like watching watching Seabold, I think he knows. Well, you'd have to be stupid to not know what's coming. But watching him at the Bulldogs game when he was standing down on the sideline. <laughs> The first 20 minutes of that game, when it kept cutting to him, the camera did, like, I've never seen a man look so stressed in my life as him just standing there. Um, obviously, then beating one of the worst sides that have been put on a rugby league park, it helped ease the pressure. But even against the Tigers, like, three tries, it cuts to him, and he's just, like, swearing in the box, like, just under his breath quietly. And he's like, he, he's got to just know what's coming. He has to, mate. And, and I think that's why he always refers to the contract. And he, he always says that and he always talks about his long-term plan now, you know, and all that garbage, which I just don't see. And even if he has got a long-term plan, and I know many people have spoken about this, but I've had some chats the last couple of weeks with some people who work in footy. And, and one of the people I spoke to mentioned that, um, you know, Seabold's like extremely structured, like really structured to the sense of like, you know, the Brian Smith's teams were a few years ago in the sense of like, so you get a, a kick on, you know, tackle one, the ball lands five metres out from your goal line, 10 in from the wing. It's supposed to be like a playbook from there. Like it's almost the NFL. So if the ball lands there, well, tackle one is this, the right winger comes in and does this. Tackle two, left winger comes in, centre comes in and does that. You know, that kind of rule structure down to where you kick from and the point you kick from. Now, you know, I know that he's got, he might have a plan, but 
doesn't I don't give a shit what the plan is. Neither do you. Neither does anyone listening to this now because we all know the plan hasn't fucking worked and it ain't working. And I don't care what his plan is because the plan's shit house and there's no plan B or C or D or E or F or anything. As we're all seeing, the moment plan A goes off the rails, which seems to be about three minutes into every game, the team looks headless. And apparently, if you watch them train, as we know people have, Chris Gary and those guys have gone there and said it looks amazing. Apparently, it does look pretty good at training. It looked pretty well drilled. It looks slick. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't look slick out in the field. The thing, too, is like when you're just getting run over like our team always is, you can have your plan, but then tackle one or tackle two, someone gets folded and bent back. And then they're yeah. two meters out of position, and so then on the next play, you've got to do more to try to get back in position, and then you're not still. And like, you can't, you can't run a game plan based on like every play is ending on this blade of grass, so we can execute our next exactly, play man. just as well. Like, that's rugby league does not work like that. It's not the NFL. It's not like, hey, on first down, we're going for a six yards here to make a short second down, and if we've got second and four, we'll have a crack. And if, you know, if it doesn't work, okay, we've got this play on third down. It doesn't work like that in rugby league. But like, we've even in many the, times, it's check is not chess. Even in the NFL too, like they're not, because of the stoppages, you're not where you grab the ball, have game planned out your whole set of downs you're going. Like you have your first play and if you're then second and one, you've got plays for second and one. But if you're second and 15, you've got plays for second and 15. Like, so you've re changing your game like you're you're playing every you know after every down it's completely different there's not time to script the first drive and that's why they sometimes you'll see a team have an amazing first drive then nothing else the rest of the game but that's it because the game changes as you said mate if plays don't work you have to the next play changes yeah i'm sure even in their scripted drives like they've got oh if we're in this position we'll do this and if we're in this position we'll do that like very different. You, there's not time to stop in between tackles and talk about what the next play is going to be. Definitely, mate. And it's kind of like a choose your own adventure from Goosebumps, isn't it? It's like, well, if you get to this page, turn to that page and then whatever. But it's like the difference with this Brisbane team, and this is the person I spoke to who said this, it's like, and he thinks it's wise keeping Darius Boyd still on the side. It's like Darius Boyd is like the only guy who understands it because he's the only guy who understands league on the same level or he's, you know, his brain thinks fast enough on the field, which is obviously not a reason to keep him at centre. But it's like, again, a good coach would change that game plan by now. It's a it, it, game plan doesn't come first. The players come first, then the game plan comes. You got this group. This group is not doesn't work for this group. You change it, and you can see what they're doing. Like you don't, we they all don't look like they know what they're doing. We also after this game, after the down three tries, behind the post, no one is saying a single word. Hey, they're just all staring up at the sky, waiting for the game to end. None of them believe in what they're trying to achieve at all. Quite obvious, none of them are putting in for old mate Seebs. and then guys like Brody Croft who like I. We've been over this signing so many times, but he must have not watched him play at Melbourne and must remember Brody from when he coached him in Queensland under-18s. Brody must have been a leader when he was a kid or something because he brought him to our club as an apparent leader, as, you know, the, put him in the leadership group, as an on-field communicator. But you watch him out there and he's not remotely like that player at all. And he's apparently getting freed up this week. But it's like, yeah, if that's the guy you brought to be the general of your game plan, that's part of the sword you've got to fall on too. If that's the guy you brought in, oh, you know, he's going to come in here and really execute what I want. Well, that was your decision too, mate. Yeah, I mean, well, what you said on Boyd too, I don't think there's any reason that is good enough for me for him to still be in the side, but at least that's the first one that makes sense to me. Like, Yeah, it does, he's doing but it. he's at centre. <laughs> yeah, and how much are you really impacting the game and like, you know, but obviously that makes sense why if he wanted him to stay at fullback a lot last year, but mm. to try to, you know, 
help impact the game a bit more. He's not doing it at centre, but yeah, I like I can half understand why he's doing that. Like, whereas before I was just completely dumbfounded because the rest of us are watching and well, what Darius is dishing up. We're still dumbfounded, but yeah, that game on the weekend. I guess to talk about it quickly here. That Tigers game, that first half, that is like the least effort I might have ever seen a team put put in. And I'm not calling it. I had a few discussions with people like this. I'm not calling it the worst performance by a team ever. I'm not saying it's that. But that first half, I don't know if I've ever seen a team put in less effort than that, like be less committed to contact in defense, give less of a shit about the result because they got out of the – like they didn't put any contact in at all indeed. There was zero line speed and it was so on out when we had the ball. And it's again, it's the same thing. Like they end up looking bad almost, Painhas and Pangai, but like the only guys who want to carry the ball. Like Pangai was running a cross field at some point in this game because it was just him getting the ball, but – like there was no physical effort in D whatsoever, and then you saw things happen. Like every try that we conceded, it was like more of a meme than the last one. It's like how can we up this last try? You think the first Luciano tr- Lua try is bad enough, then the second one comes with pirouettes and Brody Croft like fakely he attempts to attempt to tackle him. It was like he was putting on pantomime to look like he tried to tackle him, and then you know they score off a half volley later. It's like it was just more comical as it went on, and I. Like, the 2016 Knights are a worse team than this. The talent is inarguable. But I don't think that team ever tried as little as we did on Friday night. I'll tell you what, like, mm. if we versed the 2016 Knights, if they got, like, three calls to go their way in the first five minutes, they'd probably beat us. <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, And, like, yeah, as you said, like, I didn't get to see the game live, but watching it later on, I, I knew it was a terrible performance because I checked Twitter and everyone said it was one of the worst things they'd ever seen. But mm. you just, it really was just funny that we can see the first try and you're like, wow, that is a very soft, terrible try. But then everyone was just worse than that. But even like that first one, the whole left side of our defense rushes up from the scrum, eight meters offside. And you still can't like close it down. They still got around us on the outside, like yeah, so bad, man. And then we scapegoat like a fullback or a winger the next week again. But it's you know, and then this stuff happens. And like, what killed me? Like, and I know it's very boom of me to say this, but just how little Seabold fires up. He just so one note, like his game plan, like his coaching. He has one note, and like at half time, how are you not screaming at that team? Like, how are you not screaming from the rooftops that like you, you fuckers have done this to me or that kind of shit? Like, going, going off your rocker. Instead, he's still one note. And in the post-match, he's still one note. And it's like, you clearly don't get through to these boys, mate. Or anybody. Like, you don't get through to me, let alone the players you see every day of the week. Yeah, I just, I just don't think he has any clue what to do. I just think he's completely lost. Yeah, he, he is, mate. And all the symptoms are there to see. I mean, you know, again, it doesn't take a genius to see that, like, he feel he feel as we've said before the sister, the coaching staff's full of yes men so you know when he's in plan A plan A goes from him down to the next guy no one goes outside the boxes and challenges him there's no uproar same thing listens to the players too often which you think it sounds like a good thing but you know I keep hearing oh you know Tessie knew he's playing next week because the players wanting to play you know Jack Bird's playing fullback because Matt Lodge said he should play fullback it's like who's running who's running the goddamn show in the end it's got to be his decisions because he's the one that's responsible for it, really. When you have a bad that's season, it, it's going to be his head. That's it, and it will be his head. So anyway, before we keep rabbiting on about things we talk about forever, always the same topics with uh, Seabold and the guys running our club. 
Paul Green. This is the uh, other part I don't believe, by the way, that it's all coincidence. Paul Green getting sacked this week after the board not being able to afford to sack him like two weeks ago and the AGM lining up and Lockie talking about Paul Green. There's something going on with Paul Green. So not to sound like I'm talking myself into Paul Green, but I, I yeah, I don't think it's the, a terrible move. Like... There's not a whole heap of good coaches around right now. So No. And like honestly, like, well, we've seen 2015. 2017, I don't really count. They needed like results to go their way in the last round for them to even make the final. So the grand final for me has kind of just got hot got hot. Michael Morgan got hot in a few games. But when they've had a good side, he's been able to do played good football for a few years there. I think we've got a way better squad than the Cowboys do if like you know, you come in and a coach is able to get kind of the average out of most of these players or even a bit above that. Like, I think it'd be a, a pretty good side. Um, and, yeah, maybe you can bring Clifford with him too or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, for me, it's – so when when he first got linked, after we started to get Bellamy, myself and yourself hated the idea of Paul Green coming to the Broncos. But that was three years ago – and that was when we were looking for the guy to succeed Wayne and take the club to the next level. We are no longer at that point. We are at the point that we need someone to turn the ship around. And I'm actually kind of okay with Paul Green being Mr. Like, turn the ship around. Like, kind of like how Brian Smith did that for a few clubs 20 years ago. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And, like, I think even if you handle it similar to the Cowboys do, like, they probably could have fired him a year earlier. I think I said this to you the other day, but, like, he was getting decent results, 2017. Like you're not going to fire him after that. A couple of years after that, it's not great. Move him on. I don't. I wouldn't mind if we did something like that, you know. And then see who's around in four or five years' time. Yeah, I mean, his last couple of years have been embarrassing. He needs to get. He needed to lose that job. That team was stagnant. The message he was sending wasn't getting through to the players anymore either. There's there's no doubt about all of that. They were they're so goddamn boring to watch with their endless structure. And endless block plays, but you've just got to hope that like that doesn't follow him, and you've got to hope that time off, he'll change that because it has happened to other many other coaches. I mean, Michael McGuire right now, he hasn't brought that boring structure from South with him to the Tigers. They look great in attack, you know. Des has had his time off, and he's not that same structure he was before he went to Manly. Like you've got to hope Paul Green is the same caliber as those guys. But I do have faith, and I've spoken to guys who've worked for Paul Green in the past. I do have past. I do have faith in him being able to turn the ship around in the first year or two. But as you said, I probably like someone better long term. But you know, I'd, I'd still. I know. I know it sounds dumb, but I'd still try and chase Craig Bellamy one last time. I never believed the last few times that it happened, but this might be the only time it could happen without Cameron Smith. And he might be able to look like the guy who saved the Broncos. Maybe he'd do it. But other than that, I think Green's not a bad candidate. My main issue, Simo, is not poor Green. My main issue, Simo, is it seals exactly the same as the last time we hired a coach. In that, instead of doing due process, we just got one of the mate, the other guy's mates in. Yeah, that's the most annoying bit. Um, but I think if you did due process, like I don't, I don't know this Sean Wayne guy. I've not watched a whole heap of Super League, but that aside, I'm not really – I don't want to try a rookie. I don't want to try Craig Fitzgibbon at the Broncos. Like, I would rather someone – I would rather Paul Green, someone that's kind of more of a known quantity, what you're probably going to get out of them and 
see where you go from there rather than just try rookie and you know it's boom or bust or whatever. I, and you know maybe mm. Fitzgibbon will go to a different club and he'll be great and he'll coach for ten years and good for him. But I just I'm not convinced a rookie is what we need. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, fair enough on that. But I just what scares me was I said it's like. You know, if they're getting someone lined up already, it's like, well, these Lockie's yeah. mate who's defended him. And, and Ben Iken isn't the CEO yet, and we probably should talk about that too, but he's rumoured to be the CEO and he's good mates. Iken's good mates with him, but also he's good mates with Peter Nolan, who's the recruitment manager that's there, because they worked at the Broncos together like 10 years ago. They're also mates. So it almost feels like, again, we're just going into the same network. And I just think, you know, if we're moving on, firstly, the next CEO should have say. But secondly, like, can we, can we you know, not force this. Give it a couple of weeks. Like we know, see what's going. We have six months to find the next coach. It also seems like, yeah, for, as you said, for the sake of six months, then you got the new CEO comes in. Like he then has to give it a couple of years, unless it's an absolute disaster with this coach, and then like so you could be two or three years into his tenure before he's really get like does a search mm. and gets the guy he wants for himself so that like it just feels because you're trying to rush here six months in in a decision that like it shouldn't really be white's decision because the same way we've talked about wayne you know shouldn't have been doing contracts and he wasn't because he was mm. wasn't going to be at the club i think the same thing for white if you're not going to be at the club you shouldn't be making decisions for then really so yeah, because the same thing goes for the rest of those guys yeah no for sure but, like obviously know- there's some decisions you've got to make about how to run a club and all of this, but as far as something like coaching or that sort of stuff, you know, yeah, I think that's just someone else's call. It is, mate, and it's like one of those things that you know, the you know, we're going after Seabold, but the main Seabold is, as we've even said here, he's not actually the top problem in this list. Him going is great because you know, at least uh, we've seen it. I mean, other coaches, Wayne himself, got this team to fifth going to that backroom garbage. Other coaches would be doing a better job than him now. So there's no doubt he's failing. But yeah, I don't want the guys who I also think should be out of the club or at least strip back in their roles being, you know, Paul Morris, uh, Darren Lockyer, Peter Nolan, and, and, and sorry, Paul White and Carl Morris. I don't want them making a decision now because they also might have untenable jobs by the end, end of the season as well. So I'm hoping that, they, well, I'm hoping the board don't sign off on anything for a couple of months. Yeah, yep. But I could deal with Grey Matt, as you said. Like I don't, you know, it feels dirty. I actually was shitty when the link first happened on like Tuesday, but then I thought about it, and, it was, and the same conclusion you came to. It's like I don't, I don't believe in the the nobody out there myth that everyone always always says. But it's we're just going through a period now when the, a lot of overdue sackings have happened in the NRL. And a lot of other guys have already got shots. There's going to be some shots for rookies right now. And it's like, I don't want to end up holding the bag on some garbage rookie coach again. Yeah, well, if we were going to do it, I would have rather do it. Obviously, the timing would have never worked out. But a year ago, and try Adam O'Brien over, you know, five more firings happen and you're getting whoever is sixth choice after five other teams. Mm. And, I, and he has got one of the staff, uh, I think it's Steve Kroll, I think, or something Kroll, uh, one of the performance staff who was at the Cowboys with Paul Green, has a good relationship with Greeny, and uh, and the and he actually helps him manage the playing group. He's at the Broncos right now too, so that might help. But I do think um, Green will bring a rocket into the joint. 
I am scared of his decision making in the sense that he likes having veterans or doesn't like trusting youth because it's totally against their current dumb youth movement. But for luckily for him, almost like the entire side is like off contract next year. It, it's an, if the, whoever comes in coaching this off season in a year, they'll be able to really reshape the side into. And as I know, recruitment and retention guys do most of it, but the coach signs off. But they'll be able to sign off and reshape the team really into what the next coach wants to from next year. So. You know, if Paul Green wants to come into in and sign seven day old Cowboys, if we start playing better, I don't care. Oh, the other side of that coin is if he comes in and he likes the side and wants to keep it the same forever, he's got about fourteen years before they all have to retire. So we can keep <laughs> together forever. That's it, mate. But yeah, if you guys didn't know, so off contract next year, well, Jack Bird's player option, Jesse Arthur's, uh, well, Darius Boyd's already gone. But yeah, uh, Xavier Coates, Tom Dearden, uh, Herbie Farmworth off contract this year, Fafita off contract this year, Flegler and Alex Glenn next year, uh, then Hopawati, Kahu, Kenna, Kennedy this year, Milford next year, Sean O'Sullivan this year, Cannon Palace, yeah, it doesn't really matter next year, Contoni Staggs next year. Like, there's a lot of guys off contract next year that they've got to want to keep around. So, um, well likely want to keep around. So, the, But the new coach another also has the ability to come in and really reshape the plates and also put some pressure on some underperforming guys, which we, you know, we kind of desperately need as well. It's also like if you've got that many people off contract, a coach comes in, they you know make the decisions they want. You can't really then complain about a salary cap from a previous coach because if you, sign, if you re-sign everyone to terrible contracts, it's kind of on you at that point then. It is, mate. It is. And in the end, we haven't even got the good contracts out of the youth as we should get. I mean, a lot of these teams that win premierships, and we put the horse before the cart here, but all these teams that win premierships are on the back of, you know, those four or five guys who are on rookie contracts playing like origin players. Unfortunately for us is that we have only we don't sign long enough contracts for the young players. They all have to get paid. So, um, yeah, we both, me and you both know, we have, they have to bite the bullet on some of those young blokes and pick the right ones, pick the core six or seven they want to build around and go from there rather than doing what they're doing now, which is just try and keep them all and hope it works out. Because it yeah. never does. Okay. Anything else to talk about? Do you want to talk about anything else before we do questions? I think it might be question time. Um, yeah, we'll go questions over on Facebook from Jai Wimbus. Theory. Player mutiny. Players don't want or like Seabold, and this is the only true way they can get him moved off quicker. To me, is a great way to explain literally the worst ever defense and play displayed by Broncos side. Um, I wouldn't call it a mutiny, but it's very, very obvious. And again, people can deny it all they want. I don't know why people would deny it and defend Seabold, but it's very obvious they don't give a shit about him. It just is. Like, if you watch a post-match press conference a few weeks ago, one of them, Alex Glenn and Pat Carrigan faced a press conference. First time I've been impressed by Paddy Carrigan's leadership. I still think on the field he's too raw to be near a captain, but he spoke really well. But in about five or six minutes of talking, not once did they mention Seabold's name. They kept talking how they have to do be- do each better, better for each other, for the playing group. Not once they say they have to do better for, you know, the coach wants us to do X or Y or Z. It's like, no, they just care about each other. They don't really care about the coach. Um, I mean, you also heard there was that story the other day. I forget what it was. There was some, uh, Seabold asked two of them the questions, like who in the playing group like wants to play for him or something like that. There was, you know, in the dressing room. And only like Boyd and Croft, actually said anything back to him the rest just was like ignored him so like i forget the exact question that he asked but there's there's a lot of these stories going around at the moment that you know a lot of players don't not a fan of him that's it mate and a, and a lot of them as well being young fellas they're not 
like at, at a club with more senior players with a coach I don't like, a senior group can, can often do the mutiny you, you've just said. But very often a young fella, like a guy who's 20 games in his career, will just go about quietly and just hating his job. Just like anyone in a normal office. Your first year in a normal office, you're not going to go to the CEO and bitch. You're just going to sit there with the shits. Yeah. Just deal with it. Uh, right. The men along. Can we please have a post-game recap? I feel we need the play-by-play therapy session so we can avoid the inevitable PTSD that's going to come from the abuse suffered. Well, we, we actually had planned on recording during last week's game, but then Simo forgot he'd, he'd booked a party, which is fine. But I'm not going back and doing a goddamn play-by-play of that goddamn Tigers game. No. <laughs> or the Storm game, probably. No. <laughs> like, um, no. But, well, we'll try to get a game uh, set, uh, episode or two at some point soon where we'll record just through the game. Yeah, spend as little time on this team as we can possibly. Yeah, it, it's easier. Like, if I'm wasting an hour and a half record uh, watching, I might as well waste the same time recording. That's it, mate. Uh, Matt Weston, Paul Gallon and the boys on 100% footy saying Darius should be put to fullback because they need someone back there who can talk and lead the boys around on the park. Yeah, but we also need someone back there who can actually play footy. Oh, mate, look, it's one of those things, like, and I keep saying this, I love talking footy with my old man, but I actually, at this point, don't give a fuck about who gets named when every week now. I don't care anymore because, like, there's no combination of one to seven that he could put together that would give a shit. Like, you can't just, like, putting Boyd at fullback isn't just going to flick some switch. It's like putting, you know, Milford back there or Croft in a six or anything. There's not going to just, like, go switch. Oh, you know what? The team's good now. I just don't care. Yeah, I mean, I start... Once it's obvious you're going to lose, I just start cheering to run up the score. So um, that's probably with Boyd back there. Johnny O'Donnell, what do you make of the news? We are loaning Bullimore to the Raiders. A bit stupid considering Seabold has claimed we have 15 players injured. Yeah, um, I think it tells you all they think about Bullimore. Like, he didn't look very good when he played. I thought he was good in Queensland Cup last year. But yeah, if he's not getting a run now and they're willing to loan him, I think that shows you what they think about him. But also, opportunity for him to go to a good club and learn. <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt Weston again. He's off contract, by the way. Sorry, I think he's off contract this year too. So that just could be them accepting um, that he's gone, which is exactly fine because, yeah, as I said, you can't keep every goddamn young player, no matter how good they become. Got to accept they go. It's like how, and I, I know people had the shits, but like when Wayne was here and actually still in control, we accepted losing guys like Jared, uh, sorry, like Jairo, because you have to. You just have to. That's how it works. Yeah. That's what a salary cap does. Mm. Uh, Matt Weston. Um, also, there's a fat chance the Storm could literally put 100 points on us tomorrow, and I'm not kidding. Not a question, just putting it out there. <sighs> Has there been a professional first grade rugby league game that has had a hundred points scored by one side. Um, there was has, that, I don't know. There was that absolutely whack eel sharks game way back in like 2002 where the eels scored like 72 points or something. The sharks had three people sent off. I just want to see now, cause you saying, you said rugby league. So, you know, we're not talking about like NRL. You're talking about all rugby league games. Oh, like, I guess rugby league and uh, the NRL and Super League, really, like, top level. God, that, surely, I don't know. I know the most points in the game is that um, one you said. I think that, yeah, here we go. The highest score is 80, 8, 91 to 6. 
the Dragons beat the Bulldogs in 1935. So with modern scoring, obviously that game is like 120 to six. So it yeah, has happened. Tries. It has happened, but um, and then oh, yeah, that's that's the second highest margin ever. How about that? Yeah, the other Raiders Knights game has better a bigger margin than the game that had 91 points in it, but. And 87 to 7 also happened. Surely in English Super League, and those records aren't as easy to find, so maybe I can't find it. Surely English Rugby League history, there's been a team in the cup lose by that. What what year was the 87 to 7? 1935. And oh, that okay. you'd also had 91 to 6. Two bo- that you had two of those games. Yeah, no, no, just losing by 90 points and scoring seven yourself. I just thought it was odd, but if it's back back then, that makes sense. Yeah, um, so Eastern Harris scored forty-two points in the game in uh, in England, so that's a good, that went well. But they uh, only scored ninety; they didn't score a hundred. Yeah, I mean, if we if we lose by more than that margin, no one at Fox is going to be like, "Yeah, but back then it was three point tries." Like, it's just, Broncos got the biggest losing margin. And... So in nineteen, so in two thousand, the after Bulls, Bulls, sorry, put ninety six on the on Salford, ninety six to sixteen. So that's probably the highest then, 96. Yeah. There might be a cup game. I don't know if I can find Challenge Cup records when they play lower lower tiers that has less than that. I don't think I can. Yeah. No, no, no. Should be right. Uh, Scott Husband. Clubs like Canberra and Manly have been hit by injuries and still found a way to win. Do the Broncos have more injured players on their books? Wouldn't you just kill for a senior team member like Jake Trebojevic who revs his teammates at halftime? I mean, is is that not the the whole point of this? Like the, how injuries aren't an excuse. I had a bit of an argument from the Twitter account, like a child with a what's his name, Mark Gottlieb or something about it, when he put out that like, oh, Broncos injured thirteen or whatever players, and included Corey that, Oates. Yeah, who was playing the goddamn game? <laughs> <laughs> um, like that's that exactly. You've nailed it, mate. Like injuries is it's an excuse to a point, but it's not an excuse for effort. In effort wasn't injured. Like you know, putting in wasn't injured. They don't. They didn't put in in that game, and it's like the you know the Eels have injury woes as well. So the Sea Eagles do. The Sea Eagles are missing three of their f- four first choice spine players, and Adam Fanua Blake and just beat the Eels. Yeah, I can understand injuries more when they're in game. Like if you got ten minutes into a game mm. and you lose your halfback or you know a, a good prop and stuff, like that can have much more of an impact. But I mean, once you get to a certain point, it does get ridiculous. But if you just got a few people injured and out, like, you just kind of get over it a bit. That's it, mate. And you have to put in so little for the other team to even bother racking that score up because half the time the teams aren't even trying to rack a score up. They slow down. Um, except us. Everyone just likes to pile it up, which I'm happy yeah. with. I'm okay with. That was in the players' poll. Hey, like I know they people did vote Brisbane again as the second, like behind the Roosters, the team they most likely want to play for. But it was always voted the voted again first by the players, a team you like to put a score on the most. The Broncos, yeah. so everyone's <laughs> lining up to do that. Um, righto, from Regan Kabelkstis. Uh Why change anything? This list looks good. Just pick and stick. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, as you said, just. It doesn't matter what seventeen. The effort's not there on it from anyone except about. I found it comical. It's a comical seventeen because we've got Milford at fullback, Croft at six, and like Dearden's is going to come in and now steer the ship or whatever bullshit. Joe back on the edge, and then Pangai's now an edge again. Now it's a comical seventeen, but I just don't give a shit. (laughs) 
David Ryland, can we get a Victorian COVID carrier to swoop onto Seabol and give him the virus? Just kidding, of course. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, just joking. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joshua, there's a lot of hard names to pronounce today, but I'll try. Mutzelberg. Uh, petition to change the name of Suncorp Stadium to the Glue Factory. Um, from Jamie Ma. Walker boys to coach. We would still lose, but at least it would be entertaining to watch. Uh, no, that's like... It's not 2015. <laughs> no, like losing is not entertaining to watch. That's just the end of it. <laughs> um, Daniel Gauchy says, should Lockyer be made to play with the boys versus Melbourne as a punishment? Oh, that's a good one. Put him in the middle and let him work for his job. <laughs> Let Nelson Asova Solomon just run over him. Oh, God. Um, Dale Chester, no question, just a request. I'd like a five to ten minute Boyd rant, please. I, I think know, I have no energy left, man. Yeah, we talked a bit about him before. But, um, from Andrew Affleck, he says, why is there always a minimum two-man overlap when the opposition swings it to the wing? Because everyone's being selfish, mate. Like that's what Darius Boyd does. He charges in, and then he the responsibility is gone. He breaks from structure and charges in. And if he gets the guy, he's a hero. If not, everyone blames the winger. It's a selfish act breaking from structure. But it's a lot of that. But it's also like a lack of faith in each other. It's so panicky. Like I don't even know. I sometimes even watch them line up on the goal line, and you can see they've lined up a man inside their man. Like why have you lined up so narrow? I don't know. It just happens. It is terrible. And then again, there's nobody steering that structure at all, and it doesn't help that like the combinations change almost every goddamn week on the edges. Yeah, it's not. You always you see a lot of time when the more people defend together, the better they get. So changing it all the time and dropping wingers and centers for because that's your scapegoat for the week's not helping. Um, from Carrot Vivas, he said, "Who will be Greeny's first signing when he gets the coaching job shortly?" I don't know. I don't know if much of the current Cowboys lot like him, but I was laughing at the idea of like, you know how he got like Gavin Cooper not to retire. So he's just going to ask Darius for one more year. <laughs> just one more year. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he'd do that. Like, I think we like everyone can see Darius. Yeah, yeah, but also, like Gavin Cooper's was in his grand final squad. He's delivered for him for years. Like, you know, it's half understandable that he wanted him to stick around for one more year despite being cooked and have less lateral movement than Jack Reed. But, yeah, um, I don't know who he'd sign. Just bring Jason Tamalolo down. Yeah, I'd love Clifford, but I actually think they have a good relationship. I know Clifford's starting there now, but he, Clifford isn't a starter there fully fit. And I, and I don't know if he really fits in well with, with Green's current structures up there. Uh, where am I? Matt Prince. Can Broncos stop the score breaking the 1935 record of 91 to 6? <laughs> oh, well, there you go. He knew the record at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think it'll be that bad. Like we, we, we talk a lot about the storm at Suncorp and all of that, but it's not a storm with Cronk and Slater. It's Smith's the only one left. Munster will probably do whatever he wants. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't see it being too much worse than 50 ish. Which, oh man, that that's something to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, it's it's funny. Like we we're really bad away from home, so generally you think going back to Suncorp, we don't lose. You lose by forty or fifty up there. I know the Roosters did us up there, but it's like the Storm are literally the best team in the world at Suncorp. So yeah, let's just hope and pray. Michael Hutchinson says Storm fifty plus winners tomorrow night. Jaden Edmonds is asking for your round eleven tips. Uh, well, this one I, I I tipped the Eels the game that's on right now, obviously. I think I went Cowboys against the Seagulls, and everyone else I picked the favourite. So Storm, Roosters, Sharks, uh, Raiders, Knights, Panthers. But I tipped the the Cowboys upset over the Seagulls. Yeah, I I think I went Cowboys in that too. There's a lot of coin flip games this week for me. There is. Oh, one thing I want to say, mentioned to Senna, you mentioned the, the loss we keep happening. The one reason why I want to sack Seabold now, and I don't care about the replacement, is like I just feel like if we sack Seabold, the team will at least put the fuck in the next few weeks. We can yeah. at least stop us having like an historically bar- embarrassing season. You know, maybe you get a few closer games at the year end. On the other hand, if we keep him here and we end up winning like four games all year, that's just a low we'll never reach again for the rest of our lives. That's like Yeah, it's so bad. Uh, last one here on Facebook from Jamie Rose Warren. He said, thoughts on Milford? It's just another thing, mate. It's also, I know I've, I've got I've got the shits of guys like Croft and similar, but Croft's a guy I've never seen it with, and Boyd's clearly cooked. But is name a player in our team playing well outside of like Payne Haas and Pangai. Like they're all playing shit, and, and Milford is letting us down. He's definitely not putting in enough. He definitely doesn't look like he's in the shape he should be and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think, you know, he's a husk of a rugby league player. I think there's still a player there. And I just and I think maybe it might be found elsewhere or similar. But um, I'm not on the board of people who think he's like the worst player to ever exist at the moment or the worst player in the competition this year. Yeah, I just think like, we watched 2014 at the Raiders, 15, and then 2016 before his injury. I don't know if he can get back to that level. But I think if you had a coach came in that was getting close to the best out of most of the players, like if you get a coach come in and they're just getting the – median out of all of these players instead of what we're getting now you have with one person improved 30 footballers Mm. like that's way better than what you could ever do with sacking them all and bringing new people in and i think if you had someone came in that had a solid plan that they knew how to do and put milford in a position to like use his strengths i think we would see i don't know if you get to the 16 version again ever again but you might see 80 percent of that yeah, well, you know, you might remember in the 2018 with Manly, we've been over the season before, but they came 15th. And how shit did almost half that side look? Like every player yep. looked like, like they, they had Adam Fanor Blake there still, for example. Tapao was there. Pretty much the entire team that's there now was there by like Moses Suli. And some of those guys looked absolutely goddamn disgraceful. Like George Shafua, you know, that year should have been out of the league with how bad he was. And sorry, Suli was there. What am I saying? You know, Brad Parker was a meme. And yeah. I know he's still not great now, but it's like the live difference between Brad Parker then, who looked like a young Lachlan Maranta, to being a competent first grader now, that what changed is the is the coach. And I think the same kind of thing will happen when we get a better coach in place. Like all of a sudden some guys won't just be heaping piles of dog shit on the field. Yeah, I mean we've I've talked about this heaps where you get Wayne comes into the club and where we were in two thousand fourteen to fifteen. And that's just like, say, if Griffin's getting the average out of all these players and Wayne's getting better than that out of everyone, you improve thirty players. And then when he leaves and someone else is, if someone else, like he leaves the Knights and someone else is just getting average out of them, you've just made 30 players on your roster worse than they were the year before. Like 
you can get a huge swing in the fortunes of your club based on just the coach very easily. You can, mate. And, and that's what he mentioned with Wayne is always my favourite part that's forgotten about the, the salting of the earth bullshit. It's not earth salting. It's the team reverting to their mean without Wayne. Like before he got there, they were shit. And then when he got there, he took them to the finals and then he left. The team turned to shit again. Exactly what it was like every time, pretty much every time he's been in the club, left the club and joined the club. Like, but apparently he salts the earth. It's like, no, he's just far outperforming the coach that replaced him. No, I figured out what that phrase actually means. What they're actually saying is he's salt of the earth and he's just a real genuine uh. bloke. <laughs> yeah. um, righto, over on Twitter now from Eddie NZ. If the Bronx is suffering death by a thousand cuts, what's the one small stab wound that doesn't get enough attention? Example, letting Blair go a year early when the squad needed some experience in the middle. I mean, that, that's a good example in terms of his, his leadership in general. And I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's you can say this is a cut, but the fact that they've spent years and just haven't addressed the halfback position with anything more than dart throws, that's like the biggest problem in the entire team. And I guess that's not a, a hidden cut. Everyone knows that. But the process of replacing our halfback since Ben Hunt left has been terrible. And whilst we go and sign guys like Jack Bird on $10 squillion to play, we don't know where. We then end up looking like, oh, how can we afford a, a halfback for, you know, four to five hundred K next year instead of just going and signing one of the best halves in the competition? Yeah, I don't get why we we try to sign people like Sean O'Sullivan or Troy Dargan on close to league minimum. You know, that's an important position. Instead I, of doing I, that where well, we should be doing it for like bench forwards, we did yeah. it for, uh, yeah, the halfback. I don't know if Blair's the like would have changed that much. So I watched games for the Warriors where on the second row he's made one run all game and made like three tackles. So I I think Blair was the right time to go. I think the same for Josh Maguire. People say the same. Like he would have been good experience in the middle. But you watch him for the Cowboys. Anybody that looks at him can step straight around him straight through the middle. So I I'm happy those two went. I, I agree with you, Mike. I think it's not the departures that were the mistake. It was the lack of replacement that was the mistake or thinking a whole bunch of children would step up. Like, no team has really ever gone great with this, this much, you know, youth or lack of experience at the same time across the park the whole way. Like, you know, the, the Panthers in 2003 were really young and it's a long time ago too now. And same with the Tigers in 2005. But they still had a good mix of handy veterans or journeymen in that team, in those teams. Uh, for us, it's like we punted all those guys and then we didn't make us, like any half-decent veteran signings from outside the club. And in fact, the signings we made were other children, like, you know, Jesse Arthurs and um, and and uh, oh God, Jesse Arthurs and Brody Croft. And I forget the other one this off-season. But like, yeah, we went and signed Teo and Isaac Luke late, but they're both, as we know, over the hill and it's not the right signing. It's like departures were fine. You know, teams lose players, mate. Like Storm aren't crying about when they lost, you know, Kevin Proctor or... Or they, or, you know, or Tohu Harris, or similar. Like, but they just keep rolling in the next next one up. You can replace guys, but it's just the fact we didn't have any replacements planned. Yeah. Um. Well, Mister Underscore S Triple Eight. He wants mm. King Wally on the pod. That's not happening. James K. He's only coming on to rap. He can only come on to do with this track. <laughs> no, I don't even want it on the pod. It's got to be videoed, and that's it. Uh, very true. <laughs> James K underscore thirteen twelve. Would you say the Indigenous jersey is the best thing we've done all season? 
No, with that, the South is still the best thing we did all season. That was we still played well on that game. I know it's a long time ago, but uh, the South win and things happen in that game and and round one too. For the Fafita and Milford tries are this year still. The Fafita over halfway try and Milford like try when he ran backwards. They happened this year. Yeah, I st- I like Cowboys for mine. First game and then new stadium and then we own it forever. So uh, Cowboys game round one for me. Yeah, and then and the Cowboys are going to regret beating us in round twenty five when they sack Seabold and end our misery. Yeah. Uh, Pythago NRL, I feel a little bad about briefly turning a cr- crying Brody Croft into a meme. Can you please rationalize my shithousery so I feel better? Why do you feel bad about that? I, yeah, I would never feel bad about that. I know, and I, I always get sick of the cop at all. They go on social media and they're upset when when things are down. It's like, yeah, but they also go on when the things are going well and they sit there touching themselves when people compliment them, athletes do. This is the way the world works now. Yeah, All of us are in the same environment. As a, oh, when we were talking, when all that was happening after that game, the only one I really felt for was Alex Glenn. I just feel like he's obviously tried a lot over a long time for this club and I just feel he's been put in a terrible position that, where he's, it's impossible for him to succeed as captain. Yeah. You know, it's for me that's just very different seeing him react that way to Brodie Croft. Brodie Croft can get out. Yeah, I agree completely. M1 line one, do clubs have a psychology department to pump up the players and get them ready in the right frame of mind to fire them up and learn how to stay in the zone during games? No, but is that, that's, you know, obviously they do do uh, consultancies with, with pe- people whose job is to get players in the right mind frame and they probably do sessions throughout the week about this stuff, working on their, on their mental health and mentality. But is that not the job of the coach and the assistant coaches to get them in the right frame of mind prepared to play a game? You know, I think that's one of the things I always hate when teams always like fans default to blaming the playing group often when teams lose. And yes, playing rosters can be fault for losses, but it's like the the players are, are the chess pieces. It is the coach's job to set the chess pieces up the best way possible and to get them ready the most for the matchup. You know, it's that's the coach's job. So if they don't, if they're not ready for the game, that's a failure of the coach. Coach isn't out there dropping the ball, Mitch. Oh, that's always it. That's the best one. <laughs> Uh, King Wally one. He asks for your thoughts on diss tracks. Uh, very pro yours. It worked for the Bulldogs, mate, and you you're just cowering away from dropping the Seabod diss track. It's even been written for you. The writing's fantastic. It's just like Eminem would be proud of this writing. So just get on it already. Uh, Danny Boy, nineteen ninety five. Your favorite all time video games. You can go first, Simo, mate. This is this is more your wheelhouse than mine. Um, mine's very boring. It's Dark Souls one, then Bloodborne, then Dark Souls three, then Dark Souls two. <laughs> In that favorite movies are Die Hard, Die Hard, Die Hard two, Die Hard three. <laughs> what are you saying, God? Um, okay, for me, uh, Last of Us, the original, was like my favorite, you know, story game. No. I've started number two, but I'm not very far through that. I had to repair my PlayStation and take it apart and, and break the eject button and whatever to clean it to make it work. Um, one of my favorite games growing up was a game called Red Faction 2. It was a first-person shooter, one of the first ones I played in my life. But I used to play um, with uh, my my, ad- my best friend had uh, five and six brothers and sisters. So I used to spend most of my holidays at their house and we just essentially play I had a multi-tap on PlayStation 2, the fancy old multi-tap. We'd play four-player Red Faction 2. Like, like you know, the original LAN party, I guess. I loved that. Um, what else I loved? What great games? Great. Metal Gear Solid 1 I, I loved. 
Um, probably not as good going back now. Jonah Lomba Rugby was one of my favourite games as well as a young fella. Uh, the Madden franchise until it turned to shit like 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, what else did I like? You got you got some more, Simo? Or yeah, that, that's it. Talking about older games, I was thinking more and more recent, but older games, Super mm. Mario 64 was one of the first games I played. And obviously what it is as far as... 3D game that big at, at that time in gaming is, you know, quite a feat. Um, that game's up there. NBA Hang Time or NBA Jam is an absolute classic. Played that heaps <laughs> on 64. Um, always picked the ball, so that's why Scotty Pippen's better than Michael Jordan because he was a coward and didn't want to be in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the other one? Oh, Mario Kart is probably one of the things in life I'm actually legitimately great at and can <laughs> can never lose Mario Kart. So, um, like, I've, I've done, like, proper time trial racing and all that sort of stuff for records and that. Like, I'm <laughs> it's about my only good thing in life. But um, <laughs> so Mario Kart's good fun, but no one really plays with me when we get drunk and drink together. So How's the I've ruined, uh, it, ruined it for myself. And one for me, a bit of a cop-out, but, like, I was the right age this. I was 12 going on 13 when GTA Vice City came out. And that was just like the perfect time for me to be able to kill, like, you know, sit there for an entire summer holidays and play that game for like 16 hours a day, every day. Have my friends around watching each other play that game, just do dumb shit, rack up five wanted stars. Like that was like, you know, that was perfect. It would Playing that game now would probably suck absolute balls, but that's way, you know, early sandbox game where you just do what you want. Those games exist everywhere now, but it was like, you know, a transcendent experience at that age playing GTA San Andreas and then playing. So GTA 3 and then playing Vice City after it. Um, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, also a good one. Great game. And I played too much Football Manager through my teen and university years. I don't play it anymore because I burn too many hours on it. But like that was my university degree was Football Manager, essentially. Yeah, I've played, I haven't played for a few years. I played a lot of 13 and 14. Mm. Um, but I... I don't know why. I love games that basically I can do mundane, very work-related jobs on a computer game for hours and hours and not get paid for it, like driving simulator. <laughs> mate, I love all the simulator games, mate. They're the best. And I can so I can just waste hours and not get paid for driving a truck around or something. Um, yeah. And I've just got recently, I've only played four games of preseason, but I'm 4-0 so far, so Seabs move over. But Rugby League Manager 3, I think it's called. Um, Does it still suck? Because it really, I, I really tried to like it in the past, but it really sucked. Well, this is a new version, um, so mm. it's, it's still in beta, I think. But it looks half decent. Um, there's a, a, I've got to find like a guide online. I used to do this a bit for, with Football Manager, but I've got to find a guide that tells me how to set up my sets because basically you can do what Seabot likes to do where every play, like wherever you are on the field, you want this play next and this play and all the different stuff. And it's very complicated, but I think I'm going to restart my season back in with the 2019 database. So I get James Roberts back at the Broncos. Um, <laughs> um, I know. I, that, I, I wanted to play it. Didn't work. Well, I tried to, like, I haven't played that one. I played the older one and it was like, the older one was like each half had about five sets in it or whatever. And it was in 2D, but it's like, you know, if, if another team scored first, essentially it was game over. Yeah. And then the play ratings are broken. I don't think they're, they're probably still broken, but it was obviously made by someone English. I remember years ago, Rangi Chase was like the best player in the game. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in the, I'm on the 2020 database, but 
well, it's got like 3D game engine and everything. Like it looks way better than the old one. But um, so far, I think Darius Boyd has been man of the match in three of my first four games. And he's on like double the amount of money as any other player in the club. So he's my marquee player because you get that's free under the salary cap here. Um, There you go. But. Yeah, he is. Um, well, it works. All the contract and stuff are sim- more similar to traditional soccer. Like you can, you know, you transfer fees and all that sort of stuff. So it's a little bit different to how the NRL is. But I'm been, I've been enjoying my full game so far that I haven't lost. <laughs> well done, mate. Uh, I'll just have to. Save, I've looked at it. I'll have to save scum my way to a grand final win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love sports management games, mate. That's the one talk about simulator. It ticks both boxes. I love them, but um, I just because obviously I deal with rugby league data on a daily basis. Bad rugby league games and data just set me off. So I don't um, know if I can do it. You should have a look. You should, it should come under the refund for Steam. Like if you play less than two hours, you can get a refund. So you can have a look at it anyway. Yeah, is that, is that long enough to to tell if it's garbage or not? I don't know. I don't know. Well, if not, I'll just log into my account and you can play it for a bit and see if you like it. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. We probably could talk about this question for about 10 days, so but let's move to the next one. Yeah. Uh, I have been zooming, for like scrolling for ages. I don't even know where I'm up to. One sec. Danny Boy asked us about, asked yeah, us yeah, about video games. Nathan Chip 22. Is Adidas really taking over all ISC kits? If Broncos keep Melbourne... Oh, sorry. That's the first question. We'll start stay there for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's taking over all ISC kids. I don't know, mate. Like that's news to me if they are. And I, I really like the ISC move at first because firstly we actually get t- jerseys really cheap end of the season. Now we get jersey sales. We never got those with Nike or very good ones. They so look- I have like every year's jersey. They look really good, but the last few years suck. So I don't, um, I don't want Adidas. Adidas just their jerseys look like copy and paste from another club, and then just change the colours. Like, and they've got the three bars on it. I I'm never a fan of Adidas. I'd, yeah, the, 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 I hate how the jerseys have to have the three bars on it. Um, right. He also asked or says that if the Broncos keep Melbourne under sixty, he'll count that as a positive. But but you know what? The three stripes could be the Broncos white stripes and bring them back across the front of the jersey. Yeah, but they won't do it. They'll put it down the, on the shoulders like they always do. Yeah, they will. Yeah, yeah. They'll do the ones like the union ones now are like vertical rather than down the sleeve. So like just down the front on both sides of your shoulders. Um, M1 line one. Off topic, but should Cooper Cronk try his hand at coaching in the future? Oh, mate, if he wants to, I mean, the, the the media gig's the easy gig, mate. Like, you get not the same money, but you get pretty good money, less pressure, don't have to work 47 hours a day. But um, if he wants to, I know, you know, very often, the, the, you know, they, his colleagues said that him and Cam feel like coaches and they'll probably end down that path. So maybe he does, but um, sounds like he could do it. But, you know, I, I think once you're in that media gig, it's very, it's very hard to give it up. And if you do give it up, also very hard to get back, like, Laurie Daly, for example, had that cushy Fox Sports job and took the just representative coaching gigs. And where is he now? Yeah, I think there's also probably less media jobs doing what he's doing than coaching jobs. Like he could be an assistant. There's a few assistants at every club, you know. He can still be now, mate. Like Michael Ennis is, is works down at the, the Raiders, and um, you know Corey Parker before the bubble worked at the Broncos too. You can you can still be involved at a club, and he does work at the Roosters, and you know, probably isn't working there now with the bubble, but. 
that's it. You can do both and keep your cushy media job with no pressure. Yeah. Whatever you've got the job panel, this like it is, like I'd be keeping that. Um, Mr. Underscore S triple eight, who would be your choice to drop a diss tack? Diss track on Sebes and why won't he do it? King Wally. <laughs> well, the obvious choice is King Wally. Why he won't do it is anybody's guess. It's literally right in his wheelhouse. Everyone know it's a joke, but whatever. It's like... Um... I can't remember who it was, so that's not even... It's not... Whatever. Moving on. I don't know why. He's not for him. He has an opportunity to ascend to the next plane and he just don't take it. It's right in front of him. He'd be the most famous Broncos fan online. He would be. Everyone would love him forever. Um, right, Mono, Brower. Will child safety turn up to my door if I buy my kids a Broncos jersey? They're three years old, <laughs> months old and currently have no say. <laughs> Uh, it's quite funny you mentioned that. I bought my my. I had a nephew born born last year, and I bought him a baby Broncos membership and a baby and a Broncos jersey for babies. I saw on sale for about thirty bucks. They're usually about two hundred bucks with the, the jersey and the shorts. Got him that, and God, I feel sorry for him at the moment. And uh, and just today, um, my uh, missus put the Broncos jersey on pickles, the jersey you gave me, um, Nisimo, and she took him for a walk, and I was embarrassed for him. She walked him in that damn jersey outside. I had um, it was absolutely freezing at work today. It must have been about twelve degrees. So mm. I was sitting around at work, and I was like, oh, I really don't want to do this. But I had my jumper in my car, so I went and got. I've got that Broncos jumper that looks like the '92 jersey, and it's the warmest yeah. thing I own. And I put it on, and then straight away, someone's like, "Gee, you must be cold if you're having to wear that." <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well done. I specifically said in our tweet not to ask what our first 29 changes would be. So Matty McPee has asked what our first 27 changes would be if we were in charge of the Broncos. Smart ass. Um, I would block him on Twitter would be one of them. That would definitely be the first one. <laughs> and then I would hire, I would sign all the Leilua's so he couldn't enjoy them. Mm. And I mean, that's probably 26 of them in the family. So that's probably enough. Uh, Liam, <laughs> Patrick, Liam Patrick, nineteen ninety three. What are your thoughts on Ben Eichen potential getting Paul White's job, or is that just Paul Kent throwing rumors around? So apparently he, he he's going for it. You know, he said it himself, I believe. Let me let me Google this quickly and make sure I'm not talking out of my ass that he said it. Look, look, one thing I'll say is like me, me or you, anybody, we actually we don't know who the best CEO option is the Broncos. None of us have business, like working in this business in that degree, that level. But one thing we all do know is that this, the financial side of being the Broncos runs its goddamn self. Even though we act like Paul White did an amazing job, anyone could get the Broncos profitable, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you go from there. And again, on I know... You know, you watch Ben Allen talk, and he's not the the world's smartest footy analyst, or or, or is he not, he's not always right. But comparing to the guys working at our club now, he could talk circles around half of them. And and in the, over the last two years, when he's been talking about the problems at the Broncos, he's been almost spot on. I was I was embarrassed by how spot on he was like two or three years like sorry two or three weeks ago. If you remember the article, um, Simo, where he pretty much called out everything that we we've been saying on this podcast that that he, he you know he thinks we've got wrong. But also, I can has got experience in administration and rugby league, which is what matters. He's not just some media guy coming to do that. He was on the on the Cowboys board 
until I think 2014. And he stood down from that board because that's when 360 started going to a daily program. But he's still on the Queensland Rugby League board. You know, he's still involved at that level. And so, I, you know, I know I could be completely wrong on this, but I actually like the idea of him being the CEO. Get him off Fox, it's fine. I, I think it's a good appointment out of what I do know. I want Shane Richardson, that's not going to happen, but it certainly beats re-signing Paul White or going down that business acumen bullshit route again when the Broncos' business generally just runs itself. Yeah, I mean, well, P. McPhee 3 next. He asked if Iken has the experience to do the role of CEO for a listed company, so I think we've pretty much just covered that there. Um. Oh, he's got another one here. Of the coaches available, who would you pick? Yeah, I, I want to mention as well. By the way, like, I can. You know, I think he's he's a, he's sober now as well. Hasn't drunk forever. It doesn't matter, but you know, takes himself a bit takes himself seriously now. And I hope he doesn't get buddy buddy with the players. It's the worst thing Paul White did was the players for a CEO. It's like employees at a business are supposed to be numbers on paper. There should be no barbecues at Ben Eikens. I hope. Um. Next coach, I, I, yeah, as you said, mate, I don't really know just yet. I don't want to put too much um, effort into that until we know, firstly, that Seabold's gone and, secondly, what coaching candidates are left because the Warriors are looking for one right now. So are the Cowboys. And the Cowboys might come knocking for Todd, Todd Payton because he's been there. But I don't know who will be left in a couple of weeks. But I'm not too upset with Paul Graham. How about you, Simo? Um, yeah, I think we'll talk about that before. I don't mind that. We'll see, and then we'll see what happens in a couple of years. Hmm. Uh, that was the last one on Twitter. Yeah, that's it. But uh, yeah, I, I do think, I mean, I can at least also understand the, the, the media cycle part of this business as well, which our club teams have got completely wrong. They're so goddamn leaky right now. I mean, why the hell... Uh, our CEO and Lockyer and Carl Morris and Anthony Seabold addressing the media every week. Like, what's Carl Morris doing when he thinks he'll do? Like, what what chairman steps up and thinks that they're going to go, you know what, I'm going to fix this and then throws bloody kerosene on the fire? <laughs> like, shut up, man. That's the CEO's job. Yeah. Uh, I don't get a lot of what they do, but, you know, that's all right. But, yeah, I don't know how real the, the icon thing is, mate, but, like, as as... Everyone knows News Corp are the major owner of this company. So what company, this club, if, if they want to push that and they are pushing that and he's applying for it and they're getting the momentum behind him, it does sound like that might be a thing that's coming. Yeah, well, the other option for um, the CEO too would be, I forget the name of the guy from the Lions, but... Oh, yeah, I, I didn't mind that option. I have no idea who he is. No, I went through his resume and everywhere they went, his, the team started winning. Yeah, so without knowing literally anything about him, yeah, that'd be all right too. But I I, I think, we're, as sad as it is, just the club is in such a bad place right now. Literally anybody half competent is a huge step up from what we have. And then when we get to the spot of an okay club, then we can think about the next step from there. Yeah, yeah. here we go. So here's what ben, some Ben Eichen quotes last year. He said, the current Broncos squad is ineffective and has called the club's list management over a number of years disgusting, which is good. He said, the, bit, the list management has been disgusting. There's no way around it. The 30-man they've assembled is ineffective and it's out of balance. 
there's a general manager of football up there. Paul White also did a direct spoil deal. Seabold made some calls. The system is broken. He said, unless you hang this on one person, the system is broken. And they're out of balance and right at the point where they've been beaten by the last place Titans and it's not in a close contest. God, yeah, but that's it. He's happily to hammer hammer the club and call out some of the people we all think is at fault. Sounds like someone I wouldn't mind being the CEO. Yeah, no, nah, I think. And then uh, and then another other quotes like he's talking about how um, how they've been trying to defend um, this, the the um, Seabold the the contract and they're embarrassing themselves as well. Yeah, yeah, right. That's it. We're done. Yep, oh, I'm done. Okay. I've done it. Dawn game is thousand L, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll see you either within five days or 40. <laughs> You've got your window. Yeah, <laughs> Refresh your podcast feed every day and I hope it's there. Or not. I hope it's not there. That, that works too. <laughs> okay. We'll see you later, everyone. All right, I'll catch ya. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.